0: If you have a Bible, turn with me uh, to 2 Samuel chapter 7. We want to look at just chapter 7 tonight, God's covenant with David. Now, we did take a small break for the holidays and such. We have been studying the life of King David. He is king now of all Israel. In 2 Samuel chapter 5, David is king Uh, Been anointed king, there's no more division, but we know that the division will come back eventually, and I'm going to mention it here tonight. We know that uh, David uh, captured Jerusalem, we know that he defeats the Jebusites, and then King Hiram of Tyre builds David a house. And so we find David in chapter 7 resting in his house. But in 2 Samuel chapter 6, the Ark of the Covenant is brought to Jerusalem. That is a a big step. And there is great celebration. Remember, we we studied that. But again, what's very important here, there's no division in Israel. Uh, There's one unit, one mind, one heart. But it's going to come again. And I want to give you just a little bit of background because it's important. Uh, Just a small history lesson here. There will be eventually a southern kingdom. And that will be Judah and Benjamin, two tribes. There are some good kings, but mostly bad kings. The reign is for 345 years. And then they're taken into captivity by the Babylonians. If we don't pay attention to God, the Bible says that He chastens those that He loves. And Israel is the apple of His eye. And God put a, a judgment on them through the Babylonians. They served 135 years more than the northern kingdom. The northern kingdom, kingdom consists of the 10 remaining tribes. And basically, in these 10 tribes, and in the 200 in years, 210 years that they reigned. Listen to this. There was not one good king, they were all evil. So, this is preparing us uh, when we get into 1 Kings, 2 Kings. God brought judgment on, on the northern kingdom through the Assyrians. And so, the history in Israel was not always beautiful and not always great. Yet, Israel is the apple of God's eye, the land is the apple of God's eye. The people are the apple of God's eye. Jerusalem is the apple of God's eye. And yet, what do we hear today? They want to divide Jerusalem. What business do you have dividing God's land? And Jerusalem, uh, the city of David, the holy city, and the audacity to think that you can divide it, be it the United States or be it the U.N., It belongs to God. And so I want you to write this down in Hebrews chapter 12 because God brought judgment through the Babylonians and he brought judgment uh, through the Assyrians. And we know eventually uh, in 70 AD he brings judgment through the Roman Empire. In Hebrews chapter 12, uh, the discipline of God, I want you to just listen to Hebrews 12 verses 5 and 6. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. In verse 6, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens and he scourges every son whom he receives. This is taken right from Proverbs chapter 3. God chastens those that he loves. God will scourge those that he loves. I see this throughout history of the nation of Israel, but I see it in the body of Christ. If we're not going to obey God, we're not going to behave, then God will bring a, a discipline our way. Somehow, some way. Nation of Israel is no different. Uh, you know, I speak all, always about the apple of God's eye. And yet how many times God chastened them. And it's just like us, parents, the ones that have children. If you don't discipline your child, really, you don't love that child. The problems that we're having today in the school system, the problems we're having today in society, when we see young people that are unruly, parents are not disciplining them. Well, we're not supposed to spank them today. We're supposed to give them time out. You can give me time out all you want. But when you discipline a child... Something registers up here when you take care of business back here. And we need to come back to those basics. Don't raise your hand but how many of you were paddled and swatted uh, in school. I was. If if it wasn't uh, the nuns, we had the Jesuit priests that would get a hold of us. And then you went home and what? What happened? Your parents got you. Oh, no, we'll sue them now. You know, that's the whole concept. The nation of Israel, the apple of God's eye, and God has to rebuke them. Many times, many times. Not just the Assyrians, not just the Babylonians, not just the Romans, but God would use discipline. Heathen nations, think about that. So in 1 Samuel, in chapter 7, God's covenant with David. If you want to do a cross-reference, 1 Chronicles chapter 17 In verse 1, now it came to pass when the king was dwelling in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his enemies all around him. There's always a time of rest. Remember Mary and Martha, one of them was working, and the other one was resting and basking at the feet of uh, of Jesus. So there's a time to rest, and then there's a time to serve, and there's a time to pray. Joshua was rebuked. It's not time to, to pray right now. But there's sin in the camp. Now, here in verse one, remember that we already shared Second Kings or Second Samuel, chapter five. King Hiram of Tyre built David his house after his victory in Jerusalem. Hiram was king. Now, listen to this: about thirty-four years, he was part of David's life as king. He was part of Solomon's life as king. But here, David is taking that rest. It's good. To rest, But I want you to see something. David has a house, but God doesn't. Interesting. It's brought forth in verse 2 that the king said to Nathan, the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells inside tents of curtains. And so even David notices it. David's house was made out of cedar wood in 2 Samuel chapter 5. By King uh, Hiram. He supplied not only the cedar wood, listen, but the carpenters. Mark this down in your notes. In Isaiah, it speaks of cedar as the glory of Lebanon. That's where the cedar wood would come from. We see that throughout Scripture. Isaiah chapter 35, Isaiah chapter 60, Psalm 92. Nathan is the prophet of God. Notice that God's art dwells in tents of curtains. Later, uh, Solomon will have the opportunity uh, to build the house of God. David was not allowed to build the house of God because his hands were, were bloodied. And yet we look at Solomon's life. It was not the best. What was he doing with so many concubines and so many wives? And so the judgments that would come. Now, what's interesting is that God's house it's not built yet. And yet here's Nathan encouraging David. And then the king Tyre had already built him a house. But David's feeling a little bit guilty here. Now, Nathan the prophet is David's prophet at this time. He's the, Well, not just David's prophet, but he's the prophet of Israel. Nathan is the one that comes later, and he busts David. And so the prophets came to bless you. Or the prophets came to curse you. And so the choice was ours, basically. But notice now in verse 3, Then Nathan said to the king, Go, do that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. I like that. Notice how Nathan has come and direct peace. No judgment, but it will come later. Prophets usually rebuked uh, as they prophesied. Uh, Usually they prophesied calamities. Because the people were evil, the people were disobedient. But here's Nathan. He's prescribing blessings on David. He comes in peace now. And, and David's wide open to it. I mean, who doesn't want to be blessed, right? Look at verse 4 now. But it happened that night that the word of the Lord came to Nathan and said, look at verse 5. Go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, would you build a house for me to dwell in it? And we'll get to the Hebrew translation there. It's pretty radical. But in verse 4, prophets would hear from God, then share the message. Today, we really don't need prophets. God speaks to us through his word. You have 66 books before you. You have 39 Old Testament. You have 27 New Testament. God speaks to us. Now, that doesn't mean God cannot have a word of wisdom from somebody. Or a word of knowledge from somebody. And if somebody were to give a prophecy. We need to wait upon the Lord and see if it's of the Lord. But prophecies are already in scripture. Uh, God speaks to us. Through the Word of God. I know you've been here on Sunday mornings, and I know you've been here on Wednesday nights, and you've been here other times, and it just seems like the teaching is coming forth. The Word of God is being read. The Word of God is being, you know, in a sense, giving you commentary on it. And then God speaks to you, and it ministers to you. Or you're reading your devotional, and it's speaking to you. We don't need somebody that comes and says, thus uh, saith the Lord. It's all here. <laughs> and yet in Florida, we have that guy, Jose Luis Miranda, and he's still considered the prophet. And he says he's Christ on earth. I don't know. And people are flocking to him. Now remember, if anybody gives you a prophecy, they better be 100%. If not, Let's take them to the city gates and stone them. That's what they did in the Old Testament. Look at verse 5. The Hebrews interesting here. Go and tell my servant David, thus saith the Lord, would you build a house for me uh, to dwell in? Good question. The Hebrew, thou shalt not. That's what he's saying. It's a Hebrew idiom. It's a strong neg- negative. Uh, thou shalt not build me a house. Does not need a house? But yet they do build a temple. And then we know that Solomon's temple is destroyed. And then we know that king's, Herod's temple is destroyed. And what's the push today? They want a third temple. And they're desperately in need of that third temple. And they're waiting. Uh, look at verse 6 now. For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up from, from Egypt. Even to this day but have moved about in a tent and in a tabernacle. God was mobile. I like that. After Egypt, God was mobile with his people. Uh, The King James says, God walking. It's reference to his ark in migration of the Israelites uh, through the desert and even through the land of Canaan. But they were so quick, they wanted to build a house. And God's going to allow it. Look at verse 7. Uh, wherever I have moved about with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? David has a house of cedar. And so listen to the translation. In all of God's travels with Israel. He never commanded the shepherds or the leaders of the 12 tribes, "Why haven't you built me a house of Cedar? You allowed David. You allowed others. Solomon's going to have a very uh, splendor house. yet God's house. He's dwelling in a tent, basically. Look at verse 8, now therefore, uh, thus shall you say to my servant David, thus saith the Lord of hosts, I took you from the sheepfold, from following the sheep, to be ruler, ruler over my people, over Israel. God did it. God did it, not David. God did it in my life, God did it in your life. So many times uh, we can boast, we can brag. You, you can say, look look what I've done. That, that's what King Nebuchadnezzar did. Isn't that what Lucifer did in Isaiah chapter 14? The five I wills. We're never to boast. It's by the grace of God that he even saved me. It's by the grace of God that he even saved you. It's by the grace of God that God chose David. Now remember when Jesse uh, brought in all his kids and he paraded them in front of Samuel and Samuel kept saying, no, no, no. The Lord said, not one. Is there anybody else? And David was out there tending the sheep. That's where God brought him from. He was just a little boy. And when Samuel, when Saul found out, he wants to kill him. David was very humble. But David was also very prideful. And so, listen, when you're in the ministry, when you're a Christian, it's the same. And you can be in Christianity, you can be in ministry for, you know, a long-term, short-term. Be careful when we forget how humble God saved us. I mean, I was shocked. I don't know about you. And we all say the same thing. Why me? And yet David didn't want to be king. David didn't want anything to do with it. Yet God saw David. And what does the Bible say? He was a man after God's own heart. David committed adultery. David committed fornication. David committed murder. And he thought nobody saw what he did with Bathsheba. He thought nobody saw what he did to Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. But yet you read Psalm 51, and David was a man of of repentance. Look at verse 9 now. And I have been with you wherever you have gone, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and have made you a great name, like the name of the great men who are on the earth. Who doesn't know Father Abraham? Who doesn't know the stories and and the fame of King David? What about Joshua? What about about Jacob? What about Isaac? Even how God preserved Ishmael. But David. You go to Israel, the city of David. You go to the King David Hotel. (laughs) I mean, it's everywhere. Now, God protects his people. I want you to write this down in Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6. The promise that was given to Moses, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And then he gave the promise to Joshua. Joshua chapter 1 verse 9. I will never leave you nor forsake you. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. Joshua was fearful. Paul brings it back, I believe in the book of Hebrews in chapter 13. In verse 5. I will never leave you nor forsake you i've been through some harsh trials you've been through some harsh trials and i have to ask you has god ever left you no sometimes it feels that way but we don't walk by feelings we walk by faith we walk by faith lord i know you're there the enemy's telling me no but lord i know you're there i know you're there don't ever let the enemy rip you off and say, God's uh, through with you. Not so. In verse 10, moreover, I, I will appoint a place uh, for my people Israel. And I will plant them that they may dwell in a place of their own and move no more. Nor shall the sons of wickedness oppress them anymore as previously. This was done, listen, through David's kingdom. But David didn't do it. God did it. God did it. And what is David's place? What is God's place? What is God's domain? Jerusalem. Jerusalem. Why is it that everybody wants that little insignificant piece of property? Look at the maps. You can barely find Israel. All the Arab nations all around. Why do you want that? Because it belongs to God. And the devil always stirs up trouble. I tell you, one of the most beautiful sights I get to see every time we go, when we finally come into Jerusalem and and we enter uh, through one of the gates, the sheep gate, and and you see the bullet holes from the, the previous wars. And you see them there and you go, Because Jerusalem didn't always belong to to Israel. They were constantly losing it. And even when Israel has offered a portion of it, they don't want it. They want it all. God's not going to allow it. But yet when the temple is built, they're going to have to go to the rock city Petra for a season. And God will preserve them there. But they always want Jerusalem. Always. It belongs to the Lord. Notice now, in verse 11. Since the time that I commanded you, since the time that I commanded judges to be over my people, Israel, and have caused you to rest from all uh, your enemies, also the Lord tells you uh, that he will make you a house. Notice the contrast With unsettled times during the times of the judges. Because that's what he's speaking about. The times of bondage to Israel's enemies. Now, there was a theme. If you were here, when we studied the book of Judges, I never forgot it. The theme in Judges, everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. And listen to the Lord. And God allows it. If you're not going to listen, then, uh, you know, bring the judgments. I'm, af- I'm concerned. I'm not afraid. I'm concerned about the United States of America. Uh, we think we're going to get away with it. Notice verse 12. Uh, he says, when your days are fulfilled and your rest with your fathers, I will set up uh, your seed after you who will come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. Yes, Solomon uh, built the temple. Yes, Solomon was from the seed of David. But let's go further. The seed uh, through the woman would produce what? The Messiah. Think about that. And the temple. Yes, it's rebuilt and Herod rebuilds it. But don't forget this. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit? Uh, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you that stoned the prophets. Jesus warned them in in Matthew chapter 23 because they put such an emphasis on their temple. It was a great edifice. 70 AD, uh, Titus and the Roman army comes and destroys it, levels it. Interesting. Interesting. I think if we put too much value on stuff, listen to me, be careful. God could easily take it away. Easily take it away. And I think sometimes we can have a tendency to forget. Again, like Nebuchadnezzar, look what I built. Or like Lucifer, I can. Lord, thank you. And I think basically David understood that. But there was times that he would falter. There was times that he would go off course. Look at verse 13. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And and so Solomon would build a temple, not David. In Acts chapter 2, verse 30, it's Peter's sermon at Pentecost. Uh, Remember, 3,000 souls come to saving grace. This is after the power of the Holy Spirit fell upon Pentecost, there in the upper room. And second, or chapter 2 in Acts, verse 30, God promised with an oath that one of David's descendants would sit on his throne. Is he talking about Solomon? Yeah, you can talk about Solomon. But a descendant of David's throne was the Messiah. The Messiah that came through the seat of a woman. And so the beauty here, I love this. And yet, it's about the Lord. It's not about King David. It's not about Solomon. It's about the Lord. It's not about Joseph Smith. It's not about Buddha. It's not about Muhammad. It's not about Allah. Allah. about Christ. And yet, I know you understand, but there are so many out there that don't. Well, you know, Oprah, right? Many roads lead to God. Yeah, the only road you're going to follow is the one in Chicago. That's it. Unless you turn from your sins. Verse 14, but I will be his father, and he shall be my son. If he commits iniquity, listen to this, I will chasten him. Uh, with the rod of men and, and and with the bows, the blows of the sons of men. Now he is speaking about Solomon, but, and God does chasten Solomon, but what about Christ that would come through the line? He knew no sin, but the sins of mankind were upon him. My sins, your sins. He died to give us life, life eternal. In a sense, he was chastened for our sins. Didn't he receive 39 stripes uh, in Isaiah chapter 53? But he knew no sin. Be careful when people say that Jesus had to be born again. Be careful when people say, you know, Jesus needed to come to salvation in his humanity. That is so air, so false doctrine Jesus, Son of God, Savior of the world, King of kings, Lord of lords. Notice now in verse 15, but my mercy, I like this, shall not depart from him. Now, you have to be careful. It goes back and forth. For my mercy shall not depart from him as I took it from Saul whom I remove from uh, before you. God's favor was not taken from, uh, from David nor Solomon. And even though Solomon was an heir, even though David was an heir, but it was taken from King Saul. Samuel took the sword away, remember? Samuel had told Saul that you destroy the Amalekites. Utterly destroy them. Remember, he brought back choice sheep. He brought back King Agag. And Samuel says, what are you doing? He he tries to blame the people. I brought the choice sheep for sacrifice. Samuel reached over and took the sword, and, and he hacked King Agag. That's what you were supposed to do. And Saul's kingdom was taken away because he disobeyed. And yet, David disobeyed, Solomon disobeyed, but David repented. There's a difference. True repentance, change of mind, change of heart, change of direction. You cannot tell me David didn't repent when you study Psalm 51. True man of repentance. I like that. Uh, We need to remember that because sometimes we we can fall uh, uh, off to the wayside just as much, just as easy. But I like what he says here in verse 15 again. Uh, but my mercy shall not depart from him. My mercy. We deserve judgment. He gives us mercy. We deserve judgment. He gives us grace. We deserve judgment. He gives us love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Notice verse 16. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever forever. It's going to be done before you. Your throne shall be established forever. This is a strong promise for David. And David didn't even know it, basically. Believed it by faith. God's promises, church, you, you need to always remember this. God's promises are sure. He does not take them back. But he could give it to another. Be careful with that. He took it from Saul. He took it from Saul David didn't even know it. He was a youngster and God called upon David. Notice verse 17, according to all these words and according to all this vision. And so Nathan spoke to David. Great prophetic word to David. It's still today. Israel belongs to God. The people belong to God. Jerusalem belongs to God. And yet again, let's reiterate how much hatred there is uh, for that little nation and the people. Interesting. And that's why Ezekiel chapter 38, the invasion that's coming, go back and study it. All the nations that are lined up, they're ready. Chomping at the bit. It's going to take place. Our time, I don't know. Sure looks ripe to me, but God has a timing. God has a timing. Now, the conclusion of chapter seven David is so thankful. So thankful. As I was thinking about it, I didn't have a chance to go back and and kind of research, but did Saul, was he ever thankful? Was he ever really thankful? I mean, because David was a man after God's own heart. David did repent. We know that. But David was thankful. And church tonight, uh, please always remember to be thankful. Be thankful in the little things. Be, be thankful in the big things. Be thankful, uh, you know, we shared Sunday and the bad things. Wait a minute. How can I be thankful in the bad things? But, because God teaches me through them. God encourages me through them. Bob, you went through this because I'm strengthening you. I'm I'm building up stamina. That's what trials are all about in James chapter 1. It's going to build character, stamina, strength. God does this in my life. And sometimes he has to chip away the old man. And sometimes he has to chip away the old woman. And so, again... David's thanksgiving unto the Lord, again, taken uh, cross references, 1 Chronicles chapter 17. And then King David went in and sat before the Lord, and he said, who am I? I like that. Who am I, Lord God? And, and what is my house that you have brought me this far? A true man of God, now listen to me, uh, is humble before his God. But a true man of God is also humble before the people. I've often shared, I hope what you see and you hear here at Calvary Chapel on this pulpit is the same Bob that you're going to find outside of the pulpit. How can you be one thing at church and then something, something different outside? And, and uh, trust me, I, I've seen it. I know pastors that can put on that facade of the, how they preach and, and such and then you'll hear them at the market and they're doing it and I'm going well, you know that's not you that's the act that you're doing on Sunday mornings be who God's called you to be be humble before the Lord a good leader shows humility before God and so I see that as David and yet Again, let's not forget, David was a sinful man, but God forgave him. In verse 19, and yet this was a small thing in your sight, O Lord God, and you have also spoken of your servant's house for a great while to come. Is this the manner of man, O Lord God? Now, there's a good message right here at the bottom. Now, please don't blame David. I put this in my notes. He's thinking natural. He's a fleshly man. He's a natural man, just like you and I. He's not thinking spiritual. He recognizes that this is something special. Yes, God has anointed David. Yes, God has blessed David. Then God speaks of future blessings to David and his descendants, his family. All this is good. But then at the bottom, is this man? Is this of man or of God? Pastor Chuck puts an insert here in his commentary this is divine grace that God gave to David this is divine grace that God gave to David you know I think sometimes we can boast about anything and everything who gave it to you if you can work with your hands who gave you the ability if you can work with your mind, who gave you the ability? I, I wish I could play the instruments like these guys, and, but I can't. And so God gives us the abilities. We all have gifts, and God develops them in us. I really, truly believe that. Now, I want you to listen to this verse. It's a verse that's floored me for years. In Psalm 8, verse 4, the psalmist says, What is man that you're mindful of him? What is man? Who is man? Who am I? Who are you that God is mindful? If you look at the Hebrew translation, who is puny man that you even think of him? I don't know if you've ever thought about that. Lord, I'm nothing. I'm but dust. And you know what? I never forgot what Gail Irwin shared at a conference years ago. Because we all say, but Lord, I'm nothing but dust. But what's interesting is God wants to use that dust. God wants to use that dust. That's the beauty. Look at verse 20. Now, what more can David say to you? For you, Lord God, know your servant. That's why we don't boast. That's why we don't brag. That's why uh, we don't, you know, uh, we want to be humble. And don't try to be humble. It should be part of your life. Because God knows us. There's three elements of God and his characteristic. We all know it. God is omniscient. He is all-knowing. God is omnipotent. He is all-powerful. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at once. Omniscient. He knows all things, so he knows David's heart. He knows my heart. He knows your heart. Psalm 138, see, all see and I of God. How can I hide from God? (laughs) I I go to the heavens, you're there. I I go to the bottom of the earth, you're there. God's there. And I think sometimes we, uh, David, I think, you know, thought God didn't see him with Bathsheba. And then God didn't see that she was pregnant. God didn't see that David called her and said, "Uh, you know, your your husband's dead, so I want to marry you. And that child was born dead. Think about that. Or he died seven days later. Notice now. In verse 21. For your word's sake and according to your own heart, you have done all these great things to make your servant know them. God did this all for David. God does what he does all for you, not because of who David was, not because he was a man of faith, a man of prayer, not because he was a a great warrior, and yet David was all those things, but because of who God is, and we shared this earlier, his love, his mercy, his grace, God's grace is not a reward for your goodness, for your righteousness, But it's because of his great love for David, his great love for you, his great love for me, his great love for all mankind. That's what John 3.16 is about. See, that's why I struggle with those that say, you know, God wants to save this group, but this other group, no. Be careful with that logic. John 3.16 is a universal call for God so loved the world. That He gave His only begotten Son. In verse twenty-two, therefore, you are great, O Lord God, for there is none like You, nor is there any uh, God beside You, according to all that You have heard from our ears. In other words, here's here's David's heart right now. How can I ever repair? How can I ever repay God? Excuse me. How can I ever repay God? You can't. He paid the full price. There's nothing I can do. But he calls us to serve. He calls us to serve. You can't repay God. And I think sometimes people think if I just do a lot of good things, God's going to, you know, obviously open the pearly gates for me. Well, God! God's son did it all. All we have to do is accept him. Those that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. 2,000 years ago, he dies on the cross to give us life, life eternal. Look at verse 23. And who is like your people? Who is like Israel? The one nation on the earth whom God went uh, to redeem her uh, for himself as a people, uh, to make for himself a name and to do for uh, yourself a great and awesome deeds for your land before your people whom you redeemed for yourself from Egypt, the nations and their gods, small g. Now, this is a mouthful here in verse 23. I'm going to read it to you out of the New Living Translation, and I believe you'll you'll get a lot more out of it than the King James. What other, other nation on the earth is like your people Israel? What other nation, oh God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? You made a great name for yourself when you redeemed your, your people from Egypt. You performed an awesome awesome miracle, signs, and wonders. And you drove out the nations and the God, small g, that stood in their way. This is called grace. Unmerited favor. They deserve judgment. But God gave them grace. And even when God provided the the opening of the Red Sea, the pillar of fire by night, and the cloud by day, and then manna from heaven, what are they doing building a calf? It's the nature of man. Think about it, church. Church. How can I come in here on a Sunday morning and receive God's word, uh, be inspired and moved by worship and praise and then partake of communion and then I leave and then I go back to Babylon? I go back to Egypt? The proverb says it's like a dog that goes back to its vomit. It's like a pig after you wash them all up and, and, you know, he wins the blue ribbon or whatever it might be. You, go, you give him the opportunity, hey, a mud hole. It's just the nature of man. And I thank God for his grace, his love, and his mercy. And again, let me just repeat John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. What a promise. Hang on to that. You want to tattoo something? Put that on your body. But just don't show it to me. Look at verse 24. For you have made your people Israel, your very own people. Do you love that? For you have made your people Israel, your very own people forever. Uh, Not just in the time of the Old Testament, forever. And you, Lord, have become their God. You know, this is a hard verse right here because when you go to Israel, not all the Jews even believe in God it's when they need him it, it's a it's a unbelievable there's a lot of homosexuals in Israel Tel Aviv is considered them. they want to be the, the next San Francisco they say I said Lord it's your people and if you pick somebody random and you talk to them, they look at you like, Why are you here? You come all the way out here, spend your money, and you go up into the mountains. You look at this, you go over here, you go into this Jordan River with catfish and all. What's your problem? They think you're nuts. Listen to verse 24 again. I'm going to read out of the Message Bible. I love the Message translation sometimes. You establish for yourself a people, your very own Israel. I like that. Your people permanently, and you, God, became their God. Now, you can understand why Satan hates Israel. Why Satan hates the Jews. Why the world hates Israel, hates the Jews? Why the world? Let's split up Jerusalem because it belongs to God and God's given it to them. God's given it to them. When we were little kids, we would all go to grandma's house for uh, Christmas Eve, and there was a lot of of grandchildren from my grandma. And how she did it, I'll never know, but she bought everybody a present. And there were times when my cousins got something and I didn't get that. I got something else. And like it or not, you go, why do they have that? It's just a a nature. It's inside of us. And then you try to trade with your cousin, they say, get out of here. Israel is God's people. The Jews are God's people. Jerusalem belongs to the Lord. The hatred. Look at verse 25. He says, now, O Lord God, the word which you have spoken concerning your servant and concerning his house, establish it forever and do as you have said. David is saying, go for it, Lord. Do it. I'm yours. My family is yours. My country is yours. Israel is yours. Jerusalem is yours. All the Hebrews are yours, Lord. And yet, David made mistakes. But David had a, a servant's heart. I hope and pray. we I don't know about you, but that's always been my prayer. Lord, I want to have a servant's heart. In verse 26, so let your name be magnified forever. As saying, the Lord of hosts is the God over Israel. The Lord of hosts. Is a God over Israel, and let the house of your servant David be established before you. I'm yours, David is saying. I'm so thankful, Lord. I'm yours, and do what you desire, do what you wish with me, Lord. And it's a heart prayer. It's a heart prayer. Lord, here am I. You need to break me, Lord, Break me. You need to knock me down a few notches, Lord? Knock be done. David learned that. I think uh, we all have to learn it sometime or another. And so in verse 27, For you, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, have revealed this to your servant, saying, I will build you a house. Therefore, your servant has found it in his heart to pray this prayer to you. But before we go to that prayer, David accepted the grace God offered to him. I want you to listen uh, to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7. And so here's uh, Saul, or, or basically Paul the Apostle, which was Saul of Tarsus. He's writing to the church at Ephesus. And remember, in the seven churches of Asia Minor, Ephesus is the first church that receives a letter. They left their first love. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7, God can point to us in all future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and his kindness towards us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ. Yes, the blessings are here for David, but then it follows through his descendants. And through his descendants came Christ. I believe that Paul the apostle knew this. And God's grace that was given to the forefathers is the grace still given today. It's not cheap grace. It's grace that was paid for at the cross by the precious blood of Jesus. The conclusion, verses 28 and 29, and now, O Lord God, you are God, and your words are true, and you have promises goodness to your servant, Now, therefore, let it please you to bless the house of your servant that it may continue before you forever for you, O Lord God, have spoken it. And with your blessing, let the house of your servant be blessed forever. David asked a blessing upon his household. David asked a blessing upon God's house his house future Solomon's house I don't know if, about you but if you've never prayed for your house even if you're renting you need to pray say Lord God bless this house bless this house take some oil and go to the doorpost of your house and put a cross on there and just pray Lord this house is your house. You gave it to me. This trailer is your trailer. You gave it to me. This apartment is your apartment, Lord. You gave it to me. Ask the Lord to bless it. Ask the Lord. I, I, I like that. Uh, what do they call that? They put that sign on the door. You forgot? It, it's a little case. mezuzah Not a bazooka. A baz- <laughs> mezuzah Yeah. Yeah, we have one at the house, so I I just forgot. But let's all stand we'll end with a word of prayer. Inside the mezuzah, you put a scripture, and it's to welcome the people as they're coming into your house. Father, we thank you so much for your word, the word that will not come back void. And, Lord, we ask you to bless and anoint your beautiful people as they come here. Uh, tonight, Lord, those listening on live stream and those getting the CDs later, uh, those that are here tonight, those that we have prayed for already, and those that we want to continue to pray for, Lord, we're not exempt. We all go through trials, tribulation, hardship, and pain, and sometimes it's unbearable. And so, Lord, we ask you to to speak to those that are that are going through the fire, those that are hurting inside, Lord. When the disciples started to leave Jesus, he turned to some of them and he said, are you going to leave me also? And they responded, Lord, where can we go when you have the words of eternal life? Lord, I thank you and I praise you and I worship you, Lord. Go before us as we continue to seek your face, seek your direction, Lord. Go before Mary DiMatteo and we ask you to continue to heal her and touch her, Lord. Thank you for the work you've done with uh, uh, Bill Cocan, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for the work you're doing with, uh, f- with Jr. even though there's times that he feels uneasy, Lord. Lord, we haven't heard from Joe, and every time I call, uh, his message box is full, and, uh, Lord, I don't know what's going on with him. And so we just pray, Lord, for uh, the hand of grace upon him, Lord. And we pray for Jan. I know she's been struggling with her counts. Uh, uh, going up and going down, and we ask for your healing touch, Lord. Uh, for Merlinda, she's asked for prayer for her uh, sister that has cancer. and We ask you to touch her. We ask you to heal her, Lord. For those of us here in the sanctuary and those listening to live stream, Lord, even as uh, uh, last week uh, uh, Bobby the Clown was watching, he, and he was uh, there recuperating, and, and, Lord, we prayed, and little did we know, Uh, He had uh, knee surgery, and so he really, really appreciated the prayer. So we pray, Lord, and we ask you to bless your people as they've come tonight. Lord, prepare us for uh, Saturday morning. We're going to have men's breakfast, and then we're going to gather back on, on Sunday morning. And so we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.